0: Listener Production G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with Motorsport Australia CEO, Eugenia Rocker. Now, if you've turned to this page of the supplementary regulations and you haven't heard part one, head back to the Rusty's Garage Library and fire it up. From early life in Melbourne, the hard work ethic ingrained in him from family to taking on Dame Edna in a legal battle. That's quite a yarn. And how he did something I greatly admire, finding work in a game you love. In his case, the AFL. And how a social media DM sparked a career change into motorsport. We begin part two with the bold rebrand that in the broader community and sporting landscape made perfect sense. But it meant letting go of the name CAMS, the Confederation of Australian Motorsport that had been around for decades.
1: I'll admit now that um, when I started at, at CAMS, I, I didn't like the name. It just wasn't a great name. When mm. I mean, you've got an acronym for a name, it's really difficult to tell
0: people what you do. Mm. You and didn't s- think the connection people in the in the greater sphere would no. make between CAMS and motorsport? If what, you, what, if what, you what sat in
1: the back of a cab and the bloke asked you, where you, where mm. you work for CAMS? He wouldn't know who you were. Mm. Um, and you compare that to Cricket Australia, Tennis Australia, Australian
0: Football League. Immediate recognition. Immediate recognition. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and the board, and I'm not talking out of school here, the board had no appetite to change the name. There was a great historical connection, connection. to the Confederation. So how'd you sell that? Um, well, oddly enough, it was, I, I'd sort of struggled. I'd spoken to Pap a few times and said, I think we need to change the name. And you'll be surprised to know that we'd reserved the name. Had you? Motorsport Australia back in 97. Huh. <laughs> wow. And I'd said to Pap, why have we reserved, this is Andrew Pap? why have we reserved the name and not used it? He says, oh, we just didn't want anyone else using it, but we want to be known as a Confederation of Australian Motorsport. So, um, one of the new directors, Margot Foster, oh, yes. who's really involved in sport, not a big motorsport person, but great in sport, former Olympian. Yep. Um, we had a strategy meeting one day and we, and this wasn't even on the topic. Wasn't even a ro- a top- She was a rower, wasn't she? Was she was a rower, oh, Olympic yeah, yeah. rower, Commonwealth mm. Games gold mm. medalist, mm. um, wasn't even on the topic. And at one stage, I was getting just before lunch or after lunch, she sort of cracked it and said, and by the way, gentlemen, because she was the only woman on the board, mm. it does annoy me that we still call ourselves Cams. Why isn't it what we change our names to Motorsport Australia? Um, now, there was a bit of a, you know, sort of sideways look of well, what is she on about? You know, we've mm. always been Cams. And the result of that was that I was able to go away and explore the opportunity to change mm-hmm. how much it would cost and what the upside would be. And I um, engaged a fellow called Ronnie Klein who was a marketing fellow from a company called TKG, mad motorsport person. He's got a, he had a garage of Taranas, loved it, loved it. And Ronnie understood what we were and who we are. And with Ronnie, we worked our way to presenting to the board. And I remember he and I presenting to the board and it was almost a 50-50 split. Wow. But the moment that sort of won them over was when he said, ladies and gentlemen, you've had the name reserved because you're fearful that if someone else takes it, they will be the ones who will be recognised as the motorsport body. Mm. What are you thinking? Mm. Take the name now. Mm. And the vote went ahead and we got the vote. There was one abstainer who insisted on wanting to be called CAMS. And I must say to you, Rusty, that if I, if I, look, if I reflect back on the changes, that has been probably the single most significant change, to be brutally honest, changing a 60-odd-year name mm. to something more modern, reflective of what we do. And if you say to somebody who work at Motorsport Australia, "Well, guess what it is, but they'll know it's motorsport. Mm. If you said CAMS, unless you held a licence or you really knew motorsport, you had no idea. It's, it's also improved our sponsorship, Sal. So being, spon- being sponsored or being a sponsor of CAMS means very little to the bloke going in to buy some oil at a petrol shop. Being sponsored by Motorsport Australia... Or being, you know, having sponsored Motorsport Australia mm. has a much bigger connection. So it's no accident that Supercheap and Bursons and Shannon's have been big connectors for us because of that Motorsport Australia name, in part, but also because we've got this wonderful cohort of mad and passionate officials and drivers mm. who spend a lot of money in this business.
0: Mm. We'll get to them in a second. New digs, new premises as well. A move in in recent years. How? Um how significant was that in the shaping of things that we're talking about here?
1: Yeah, look, we, we were in an old building, and you, 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 you probably would have been in a
0: building. Involved yeah. And it
1: was had a bit of an oldness about it, and it was a bit drab, and we'd actually outgrown it. It's funny now, because we've actually contracted in size, but at the time, we were getting bigger, hmm. and we were basically sitting on top of each other. And so, I'd gone back to the board and said, they're building apartments all around us. We are like the broken tooth and a smiley grin, the one building that's only two floors high, and everything else is being built around us. And this is prime real estate. So we went to the board and said, you know, we paid about 1.9 for this block. I reckon we can sell it for eight, and then we can find ourselves something bigger, more more impressive, um, and more modern. Mm. And lo and behold, um, we managed to get, I think we sold it for 8.25 or thereabouts, which is a fantastic price, mm. great return, tax-free, because we're a not-for-profit body. And we went and bought um, Canterbury Road. Um, it was a 50-year-old building, solid as a rock, needed to be refurbished. We bought it for about 6.75, spent about two and a half, and now we've got this magnificent building, which you've been to a number of times. Um, But I think it also happened around the same time as we changed our name to Motorsport Australia. Mm. Um, You know, we've got flags out the front, we've got a pretty good car park. It's a pretty impressive building. Mm. It stands for something. And I think that that has also been a pretty important change for us. It's a modern building, it's sustainable. You know, we're going to get some solar panels on the roof eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, We are really committed to making sure that um, it's a good place for our employees to be, um, even post-pandemic, but also that it, it, it represents a really good statement of who we are.
0: And lots of great reflections as you walk the corridors of some of the champions in the various yeah. different sports that, that we cover, which is great too. People listening, w- before we um, we started recording today, we shot the breeze a little bit about um, some of the stats, I guess you could say, around around licensing and, and memberships and so on. You're coming off the back of a, of a very good month. Just share with, with uh, people that may not know, some of the things about the the yeah. size of the body in that regard, you know?
1: Well, um, per capita, um, pre-pandemic, we had 27,500 competitor license, holder, license holders, visa drivers, yep. um, 10,000 officials. Per capita, in the world, there is no other country that matches that. Wow. Uh, you might look at Japan, which has got 69,000 mm-hmm. on a population of 120 million.
0: Mm.
1: Per capita, 27,500 for a population of 25 million. We digests motorsport more than any other country. Wow. So it's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, uh, in the pandemic, because we are an events-driven business or sport, um, we dropped from 27.5 to 20. We lost in the space of 12 months and we had lockdowns, if mm-hmm. you remember. Yes. Um, and so it really took, we took a hit, a big hit. But um, since the pandemic has finished, we say it's not quite over, but it's, mm-hmm. we're getting out of lockdowns. The numbers have climbed back up to twenty-three thousand fairly quickly, and it, and people renew on li- on anniversaries. Mm. So there's still a big cohort of people that over the next six months are going to increase. Are going to get back involved in the sport, and in January, February, March of this year, we've had our biggest quarter. Um, we've had two thousand odd in January, two thousand five hundred in February, and now we just hit three thousand. Crazy. So uh, it's it, we we're, we're back to Mm. say, but but motorsport is not only in our DNA, but motorsport Australia is highly regarded around the world. We've trained many countries Mm. in F1 and how to put on an event. So right now we're talking to a couple of Middle Eastern countries where we might be putting on uh, training for officials. So we've got this fantastic reputation internationally Mm -hmm. and we've got this fantastic appetite for motorsport in this country. Um, And so those numbers stack up very well against every other country in the world. And I think it's only a matter of probably 12 to 18 months but we'll be probably getting up to nearly thirty thousand um, competitor license holders, which will be fantastic.
0: Just brilliant, and growth in car clubs that we've seen you and I over over time joining the uh, the organisation. I love people uh, that are you know clearly have had cars or, or something in the garage tucked away for a little while, maybe because of the pandemic, and, a, and are keen and thirsty to get out and and um, and use them again. Can we talk about because you sort of went there with the 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 calibre of of um, marshals and officials that we have in this country? Probably a good chance to to more or less spruik, I guess you could say that that you do great work in that space you guys around training. So there's there's opportunities for people to come and play even if they don't necessarily want to drive or or uh, navigate if it's rallying or something along those lines or off-road. But there's opportunities to come and play, to learn and grow and and develop skills around something that they're passionate about, isn't there?
1: And get the best seat in the house. House, Get the best seat in the house. Look, it is a challenge because of a changing demographic. We're we're sort of lucky that the baby boomers are Mm. still around and have been passionate. You know, 60,000 people used to go to Sandown. Mm. When they get older and they can't drive, they become officials to Mm. some degree. Uh, our challenge is to get the next generation of younger people involved in the sport. Shows like Netflix help, mm. I must say. Yes. But I, I, we're right, as we speak, we, you know, we've coming out of a two-year period where we've made losses. But, in, but, in that, yeah. In, in terms of our own revenue. Okay. And when you can't have money to invest, it sort of sets you back. Mm-hmm. We're seeing an opportunity now with increased surplus in mm-hmm. our revenue to be able to invest more in our officials and spend more more money to recruit people. We're actually talking to other volunteering bodies around the country. It is a problem generally in volunteering. Even the AFL is struggling to find umpires at the moment. They've got some 6,000 less umpires than they had two or three years ago. So what's the go there? People are just... I think it's a change in culture in in terms of people's appetite to spend time um, away from TV... Uh, streaming, television, mm. iPhones. A little um, bit fearful maybe after COVID yeah, and things. Probably yeah, probably a little bit mm. fearful. There's a bit mm. of resistance. You can watch mm. the, the, uh, the AFL uh, attendance numbers haven't been that great because mm. people are still a bit nervous about getting out there. Mm. So we're doing a bit of work around that. We're talking to a couple of big volunteering bodies to share information. Mm. Um, and Mike Smith and his team will come up with some plans for the, for the board. We've got a big strategic meeting coming up in August and officials will be a major part of that. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky we've still got a good solid base of nine to nine and a half thousand officials. It's pretty good, mm-hmm. but we want to get it back up to 10, 12, 13,000 members or officials who are doing it. But as you said, it's the greater seat in the house. Mm-hmm. You get to be in a part of a team and um, I, I think the opportunity to go up the pathway from grassroots to F1 mm-hmm. is fantastic. This weekend or next weekend, one of the F1 stewards, Matt Selly. You know I mean? yeah. So and, and the backup is Chris McMahon. Yep. So these are people who are on the world stage, Australian bred born, come up for our system and, and being recognized as the best officials. And, you know, Michael Massey until recently was yep. at the top of a tree. Yep. It still irks me that he's not there. But again, you know, we've got a really great reputation or a fantastic reputation in that official space. And we're very proud of it.
0: We'll talk a little bit more about Michael because I know you've spoken um, about that a little to to some some outlets. We'll get your thoughts on that a, a bit later. Just while we're on the youth thing, not just in in marshalling and, uh, and officialdom here, but just generally, it's a it's a challenge for our game. We want to inspire kids to to have the passion for it. We want to find the next Daniel Ricardo, the next the next Oscar Piastri, and and, and ensure that w- that we um we foster that. Yep, don't we?
1: We we do, and esports. Yep. Um. Uh. But there are opportunities that we're currently looking at, and we're doing some work in that space. Are you, conf- are you
0: Are you conscious of making real crossover? I guess too that they're not just going to stay home and yeah, play. You know, if it, the it, board has
1: told me don't don't just get involved in this. If all you're going to do is have kids sitting on the, on the PlayStation doing yep. Gran Turismo, you've got to come up with a strategy to get around, them across around mm. migrating them across. And mm. I think the opportunities there, mm-hmm. but we just need to put some time and work into it. Esports is a big sport around the world globally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see it as an opportunity, I also believe that um, we need to convince this younger generation that motorsport is a sustainably good
0: thing. uh, Mm. We
1: don't want to be seen as the dirty sport, Mm. using up fuel and rubber and tires. I think if we lead the way on the sustainability argument, Mm. a lot of those uh, young people who are pretty passionate about the environment won't be shunned by the opportunity of being involved in a leading cutting edge, technologically advanced industry it's clean. that sets mm. For, for, mm. you know, for, we'll be, we'll be using biofuels and, mm. you know, more and more efficient engines as we go forward. I'm sure there'll be opportunities to change rubber and tire and what we do with those. Mm. So I think selling that story around being in an exhilarating sport mm. can be dangerous, but an exhilarating sport that is in our DNA and the opportunity to be up close and personal with it, it, whether you go to Phillip Island and you wander around the pits and you jump in a car, my boy jumped into an S5000 and, you know, he's still talking about it. He's, Fantastic. he's 27 years of age. So he drove one. He, he doesn't know. He just sat and won. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he okay, hasn't okay. got a license. Mm. He loves cars. He loves motorsport, doesn't drive. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been brought up on Gran Turismo, mm-hmm. but there's nothing quite like sitting behind a, a, mm-hmm. a, car, mm-hmm. a, a car, a steering wheel and a in mm-hmm. an S5000. And, you know, We've got to get them, migrate them from that feeling into actually getting involved in the sport, whether it's as an official Mm. or whether it's as a driver. But I think if you look at the last five years, the number of young competitors that are making a mark overseas, Mm. we're in a golden era. I think Mm. Oscar Piastri coming through, there's obviously Young Dillon, Jack Dillon, there's Liam Lawson, New Zealander, but you know, part Part of our our family. Part of our family. I think there's a real buzz about the opportunities to go overseas and forge a career and oscar's doing that at the moment Mm. um and i think lots of kids see that and the opportunity but but it's not easy i must say to you that you know back in the day when there weren't so many other distractions Mm. you didn't watch nba on your phone you didn't Mm. watch uh, nfl you didn't watch soccer Mm. it's all those other competing sports that we have to position ourselves but netflix and drive to survive have given us some oxygen in that space
0: There's some exciting names coming up on Rusty's Garage. Stay tuned and follow Rusty on social media to hear all the latest from the garage. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Invariably when you when you join the motorsport family and and you get uh, more exposed to it, you get the opportunity to go for rides. Have you been for rides in race cars? Who with and what was it? Tell us about that.
1: Well, I've got to be careful, but I don't be seen to be uh, favourite, favourite, yeah, favourites. But, but I've uh, I've been on the mountain. Um, um, my son and I both did not, not suited up. I, yep. I actually haven't suited up. Really, if I do suit up, it'll be with Johnny Bow, probably yes? at Sandown.
0: Fantastic. Um,
1: but I haven't actually suited up, and it's probably something I'll do towards the end of my career at this okay. organisation, yep. whenever that may be. Yep. So it's on my bucket list. Yeah. But I have been taken around Bathurst. Excellent. And um, in a in a normal course car,
0: yep. and that was good fun. And I remember myself- what eye opening mate, isn't it? it well, yeah.
1: it is. And and, and this, you never appreciate the skill of our drivers until you've been in a car mm. and watch for millimeters that yep. we're talking about. Yep. You know, watching the side view mirror. Barely scrape the, 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 the wall on, on Bathurst, mm, mm.
0: and I remember James. And how easy they make it look, you know. <laughs> and it's just, it's just
1: effortless, you know. And, mm, the, yeah. and the, course, the course controller will, 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 will lean into the car and say to the driver, 60%, fellas. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen, trust me, it doesn't happen. <laughs> but I remember James was in the car behind me with DJ mm. Dick Johnson, mm. and he um, he hadn't been on the mountain, hadn't been at 200 plus. And at one stage, Jono. Turned around with one steer, one hand on the steering wheel, <laughs> down Conrod. Shot. Hey, boys, how good is this? Hey, <laughs> and they're like this. <laughs>
0: Frozen. G- so
1: it's um. I would strongly urge and recommend anyone, mm. if they get the chance, to get in a course car, get in a safety car, experience get in a it. car, mm. experience, experience it because it, mm. it does, it does. Re- and I've only had a taste of it, not mm. a real. Mm. I've got, Cam McConville took me for a spin yep. without being suited up, but I, I do look forward to the day when Johnny Bow or Mark Scaife will put me in one and I'll suit up and I'll do the, the full thing. I
0: look and forward. Really I look forward to that too. I've had this sort of not not argument, but 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 friendly jousting over time with sporting editors and things who are. You know um they feel like it's just the car well, the car's a very important component of that, but it 's equally about the, about the team of people around it yeah. and also especially about the driver and their their talent and their skills and and When you get those sorts of people to the track and you put them in the car and you let them experience it changes their whole Absolutely. their whole outlook on it let's swing back if we can because we were talking before about. Clean and green, and maybe even electrification, and and that, that sort of thing. Just what we're on that that flavour. What's the pressure like at a, at a government level, either state or federal, for for that style of thing as 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 we go forward? I think here? it's on the
1: horizon. We mm. talk to government a lot.
0: Mm.
1: We're not being. I think there'll be a time where you will not get funding mm-hmm. if you're not a sport, but as being responsible in this space. Mm-hmm. So we we want to get ahead of the curve. Yep. Um, right now, government are, are pleased to hear that we're looking at ways to be more environmentally um, friendly, they're not forcing it on us. Mm. I don't think there's an appetite for doing it today. They understand that you can't just flick a switch and suddenly Mm. go completely green. But if you look at the work uh, that DJR is doing – Dick carbon, neutral. Racing, carbon, carbon neutral, neutral mm. the work that Ryan Story's doing. We, we're we a bit different because we're an industry leader. Mm. And so we don't control the team as such, but we will move to a point where the Shannons and most of the championships we run will be environmentally um, sustainable. I call it environmentally sustainable and friendly. Mm-hmm. But we're doing some work at the moment with EY and their climate change partner mm-hmm. to come up with a strategy, similar to the FIA, where we will set some targets we will set some agendas, we will aim for some technological improvements, then work with industry, mm. because we can't do it on our own. We don't own the tracks, we don't control the venues. Mm. They're a big part of it. But I do think that if we want to remain supported by government, sustainable to our to our communities, we have to start making some noise this space. And I must say that our President Andrew Fraser is very passionate about this, mm. and he's instilled that passion in me. I'd sort of aware of it, but wasn't really sort of a number one thing that I would worry about when I got up in the morning. It's now very much front of mind. And Andrew is actually on the FIA Environmental uh, Sustainability Committee. Mm. That's our passionate it is. So Mm. we're working on coming up with something in the next six months that sort of gives government great confidence that we are doing what needs to be done to satisfy them around our responsibility Mm. to the environment.
0: What about stuff in the, the great box ticking that we've, we've talked about here and there's been some very um, very good things you've achieved? What about stuff that hasn't gone, gone right? I mean, Formula 4, what, how do you feel about that with the benefit of time now, the chance to to reflect on that?
1: It's no excuse, um, but I'd just been in the role for about a year and a bit. Mm. I, I probably did not have an understanding, or a true understanding of the overall environment of open wheelers. Mm. And so um, it was, in retrospect, a a sort of need if you want to call it that to get one of the first championships up in the world mm. um, we wanted to impress the FIA to some degree and there was a genuine belief that formula 4 could work in this country i'd heard that people were spending 200 or 300,000 on formula ford and we're thinking well if they're spending that sort of money on that level why wouldn't formula 4 work mm. um it turned out to be an unmitigated i don't want to say use the word disaster it was hard work and ultimately we reflect we reflect back on that And learn from it on the basis that we probably didn't engage enough with the industry. Mm. We thought we spoke to Formula Ford, and there was natural resistance. I don't think we really understood the appetite or the capacity of this market Mm -hmm. to sustain that sort of industry. Now, that sort of category. The problem, as I see it, was that overseas there were grids of twenty-five or thirty German, German championship, and so on. German, the Italian, Mm. well, not so much the English, but certainly the German and the Italian they were getting 40 car grids. Mm. And I remember talking to uh, fathers. I know that uh, Cam McConville spoke to Chris Piastri Mm. and said, Chris, your boy should be in a Formula Four in Australia. And Chris said, well, with all due respect, the only way he's going to make it in the world is to go over and compete with the best in the world Mm. and big, big grids with a multitude of different nationalities in big, in a big country like Germany, that's where we need to be. Mm. And so I, I think that was probably the single biggest factor. Mm. Um, but we didn't have the numbers in the first, we had a 25 million, a lot of money to spend on a 16-year-old mm. kid to go racing. Mm-hmm. And that we had this viable option overseas, admittedly more expensive, but more connected to world motorsport mm. than we were in an island in Australia, you know, 24 hours away. So so I think there might've been other reasons. I know Formula Ford were very... Um, sort of strong in their opposition and they worked really hard to convince kids to stay in Formula Ford. Like we were literally fighting over kids. Mm. That's not a good thing in a small country mm. to try to ent- encourage kids. So so in retrospect, we we can at least say that we gave it a crack and after five years, I think in the end, the board ultimately decided we should we needed to get out mm. because we, we just weren't making an impact. The, the grids were getting smaller and smaller. We were down to eight cars. So the long-winded answer to your question is we learned that um, – you can't just assume that because you want to do the right thing, it's going to work. Mm. Um, it, it just didn't.
0: It, it probably also, um, in the, the learnings of things, shone a little bit of a light on the balance that you need with the mothership, which yep. is the FIA, the international governing body, and then what works in our region, in in the Tasman region.
1: And look, it it, it is a disadvantage mm. being twenty four hours away from uh, you know where motorsport really mm. operates. I mean, all the F one teams are in England or mm. in or in uh, or in Europe. Um, um, We are a a, a long way away, and we are competing against uh, an area where people can move around freely Mm. uh, within five hours, go from country to country to country, and we're sitting out here where you take five hours to go from state to state. Mm. That is a sobering reminder that um, there is something you need to factor in when you're trying to connect to the world. Mm. Um, And so we were motivated by good. We felt that the best pathway would be Formula 4 to get kids overseas. We miscalculated the importance of being overseas first Mm. for kids, young kids, to start at that level rather than go to that level. Um, And ultimately, I think 25 million person uh, country just didn't have the numbers to be able to sustain that on its own, Mm. factoring in that some kids would go overseas. Um, So ultimately, um, it was an expensive, uh, painful period for me as CEO. Um, It it is something I I reflect on from time to time and, consider it a failure of mine, wow. but you've got to accept the responsibility. I'm still here as CEO, so mm. I've done a fair bit of other good stuff, I think, in mm. general, or our team has. But I think going forward, we'll put a lot more thought into factoring in the, fa- the these, these these learnings mm. that we've gotten from, from Formula 4.
0: Do you work well with other bodies? I mean, you've you, Immediately, are the principal body we think of in relation to motorsport, but I mean, there's speedway, drag racing, and, and so on. They all have their own challenges. Uh, are there times where you have dialogue? And, oh, and regularly.
1: Mm. Well, I'm very close to Kelvin. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's, a, he's an old warhorse. We're talking, talking karting Kel- there, Kevin yeah, O'Reilly. Kelvin O'Reilly. Yep. an old warhorse. Mm-hmm. He's been around to back to fatigue days. Mm-hmm. He, he knows more about motorsport than I could ever dream about. Um, Brett Stevens from Andrew, of course, for drags. And we're now re engaging with speedway for a moment for a period of time there. Because of our governance set up, we let Speedway go. But we talk, and Motorcycling Australia, we've got a f- really good bond with Pete Doyle from Motorsport, so Motorcycling Cycling. Australia. Yep. So we regularly meet. We've created a body called the Australian Motorsport Council. Fantastic. Which is intended to be a lobbying body for sort of the FIA, FI, FIM-related entities mm-hmm. as national sporting bodies. So we have a really good collegiate relationship with, in fact, they're going to be coming to our corporate marquee uh, some of them uh, for the grand prix but it's an ongoing working relationship particularly with karting mm. that's the, the, that's our sort of junior oskick mm-hmm. that's for breeding ground and so that's critical i think and what one of the hallmarks of our administration has been to reconnect and form friendships and re- relationships with stakeholders from venues whether it's Sam Shaheen Tony Quinn up to supercars, you know mm. Barclay Nettlefold. Yes, I happen to know who he was beforehand. He lives in Melbourne. We've already connected a number of yep. times. You boss of supercars, Shane, yep. and Shane yep. super, it, yep. Shane's a great, a ripping bloke. Mm. We go back a few years. Australian Grand Prix Corporation. I was there yesterday with Westy. When I started, we were at Loggerheads. We were not. We were not friends. I can okay. promise you, we were one of the first things a board said to me was make friends with the AGPC. We're not friends. Sort this. And we have. And so one of the hallmarks of our administration has been to really relate to our stakeholders, engage with them, um, work cooperatively. I share a lot of our policies with Motorcycling Australia, karting, a lot of the work we've done, we share it and distribute Mm. it. It's it's a really collegiate relationship because if if you're not, one thing I learned from footy, if you're not swimming in the one direction you're yeah, just going to fall over. Mm. And that's from the coach, from the president, right down of a boot starter. And I think in this, in this field, we've really worked hard in that
0: space. I'm glad you brought up footy again because there's been lots of great work by the ball codes in the areas of diversity, equality, women's cricket, AFLW. Now, I reckon, um, without sort of using that, that motorsport term, pumping tyres and so on, I, I reckon that our work in this space, the women in motorsport within the Australian community is world-class and is it recognised as such overseas?
1: It is. Um, it's, it's partly connected to the FAA. Girls mm. on Track um, is a fantastic program that, um, you know, we've got the Minister, the Federal Minister for Sport is coming to the Grand Prix to go and have a look at Girls on
0: Track. Terrific.
1: And I'm going to try and take some money out of his pocket in the process, of course. <laughs> you know, it's funded by government. The Victorian mm. government gives us about seventy-five to 100000 a year. That's just on Girls on Track, plus Ricardo's races. Mm. We're really proud of Girls on Track because we've now got it in every state. We'd love to do it on a more regular basis in every state, and we just need money because, as you know, Rusty, it's not easy to um, get access to venues, get access to tracks uh, in a race environment, in a race Mm. day. But the work that, um, you know, Triple Eight, Jess Dane, fantastic, Nadine Armstrong, these wonderful women have stepped up to help us out, and I think it's a world-class program because it involves not just being a driver.
0: No, correct. uh, uh,
1: Engineer, mechanic journalism, sponsorship, the whole gamut of what could be involved in a sporting environment. And you get to do it in a place like the Grand Prix. And so we've got 40 young women who'll be coming to the Grand Prix. There'll be a lunch where some heavy hitters within the uh, motorsport world who are women will be attending. And I think it just is a great story for us to tell government. And I know that by the end of this year, I'm confident we'll be getting more funding from various state governments and the federal government um, along the path of generating interest for more girls and women to get involved in the sport.
0: We have some great leaders, I think in, in, yeah. is the word for it, in, in that space. Great role models. Tim Schenken. A he called man. time on a brilliant career as V8 Supercars race director. He's in our podcast library because he's raced in, in Formula One and more very successfully. He's still working with Motorsport Australia. Is that well, right? Well, yeah, we've yeah.
1: got a deal, Tim and I, yeah. um, uh, and it's- I, I so Is this,
0: this a lunch handshake deal? What yeah, is one of
1: those. <laughs> I remember when I started, he was really nervous about me. Really? He was really nervous about me. Oh, yeah. I, he confessed later that he thought his card would be marked, but I'd be brought in to basically, you know, move him on because he's done the job for a long time. time. yeah. And I assured him, I said, from day one, I said, I don't know I don't, I don't know who you are, Tim, to be brutally honest. I know of you, but I've mm-hmm. never met you. And Greg Swann had mentioned him to mm-hmm. me. He so, said, Tim's a good bloke. I said, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you're able to do the job, you can have the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to think that there'll be a point in time when you'll come to me and say, I reckon it's time for me to do something else. But I've always supported him 100%, and as long as he never compromises what we do through his role, mm. then I would he, he could keep working until he's 80, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. The whole issue about supercars was probably time for change was necessary because we had James Taylor being developed. He'd done the role for two or three years. He'd held us down during the pandemic, if you remember, to the time when Tim yes. couldn't travel, yep. and James was. And so, Tim and I had a good chat at the start of last year about the possibility of uh, you know, bringing it to an end. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest in saying to you that he wasn't happy initially. He okay. was a bit resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim's, you know, a, a proud man, and he was conscious of making sure that any exit was treated, you know, in a way that was
0: respectful. Not ba- Bathurst was beautifully done. That was a lovely, I, I mean, I, Neil Crompton. Beyond and way my that he, expectations, mm, to mm, be
1: brutally honest, mm. and I think even beyond Tim's expectations. So, I mean, Tim doesn't Stand on ceremony. Mm. But deep down, I think he's enormously a lot proud. Mm. Mm. And I remember he said to me when we said, "Well, your last round is Bathurst. You know, let's make a big song and dance." He said, "No, no, I'm not giving any speeches. In fact, he didn't. I'm not giving any speeches. I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to be a part of any sort of big send-off. Nothing on television. And but, but you know, it'll be my last round." I said, "Okay," and I have also agreed to keep him on as, mm. a, as a, mm. two days a week he mm. works for us. So he still comes Probably. in. Mm. Still annoys me on a Tuesday and spends <laughs> half an hour talking to me about nothing. But um. We talked to supercars, um, we spoke to Roland Dane, and I thought the, the way it was handled and the, and the really touching piece was when they gave him uh, the honour of being on the tower. Yes. And uh, he later came back to me, because uh, I rang him, of course, and spoke to him, and I wasn't, I wasn't able to be there. I had a wedding on that weekend, but I, I spoke to him later, and he said, you know what, Eugene, in retrospect, it's, it's better to enjoy these things when you're still alive. Yes. And rather than have people, you know, talk Do about you. Do after, after mm, I yeah. said, well, Tim... You can go to Bathurst anytime now and there's going to be a plaque on that, uh, on that wall that's got your name on it forever and you've got the opportunity of seeing it rather than having moved on and your yeah. family enjoy it. And he, and he was particularly funny when he said that as he was leaving Bathurst for the last time, he noticed the plaque was just sitting on a chair in race control and he wasn't going to have any of that and he, he <laughs> took it with him. He took he? it with him back to the hotel and then drove it to the council and said, make sure you put it... Put where- this up. <laughs> Ideally, in a high place where people can't get to it. But he was very, very, very proud of that. Mm. And he confessed to me later on that he was absolutely comfortable with the decision. He yeah. was okay about the driver's briefing, the send-off, yeah. the caricature and Roland Day and all that stuff. But that, that recognition on the tower, that is pretty special yep. and it's a one-off. And I think um, ultimately, the great man has proven himself to be exactly that.
0: He was chuffed. You could tell. Great, yep. great send-off, great recognition. You mentioned COVID there and you talked a little bit before about the impact. How how tough has that been for the organisation? I, I
1: wouldn't lie. And I've been in some tough jams in my career. Um, and there's no doubt that that two-year period, in particular, that first 12 months from March 2.20, mm-hmm. 13th of March, 2.20, if you remember. We
0: stood at yeah, the press conference at the yeah, Grand Prix. Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: that that has been a really tough 12 months. We've had to let 16 people go over wow. a period of 12 months. You know, we're 50-odd people. We're in every state. Um, we rationalised. We did a bit of work. My, my good friend, John Murphy, has mm-hmm. gone to the States, but he did a bit of work beforehand, came back, and we, we created a work a working group made up of some some big characters in motorsport, mm. Um And we came up with a plan to use the downtime to reinvigorate our organisation. So, we're actually more efficient Mm -hmm. than we were when we had 52 people. Um, We're not in every state, but we've got people in every state who can go to every state. Um, We've improved our digital. We've now got a digital card, of course. We've got a portal that's much better. You can enter an event. It's contactless now. So, we've done a lot of work in that space. And so, whilst we're now only 38 people as opposed to 54, 55, I think we're in a better place to now put on people mm. and we're advertising as we speak for some more roles and grow back up probably to mid-40s mm. and be able to continue to deliver a fantastic service. But I can tell you that sitting down in front of 12 people in one hit over Anormously a period of one week mate. is mm. very tough work. Mm. But we, we rang them all up after. We, 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 we built on a strong ethic of care mm-hmm. and nearly all of them have found jobs. We, we reached out to them. We offered them opportunities for training and extra assistance. And I think that that's a really important part of our uh, sort of role mm. in letting those people go. And to this day, we're still, you know, looking at some of them coming back at some stage in the future. So it was tough. Financially, we made some significant losses. We were supported by JobKeeper. I remember the Monday, I don't want to digress, but on the Monday of, I'd planned with the board support to stand down 80% of our staff. Whoa. No salary. Whoa. 80% of our staff was going to happen on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, On Monday afternoon, Scott Morrison announced JobKeeper and it saved me from having to say to 80% of our staff, we are going to have to put you off with no salary for an indefinite period of time. And as it turned out, JobKeeper saved us Mm -hmm. and we were able to keep that that staff on 80% of their salary Mm -hmm. for most of a year. Most people don't know that for most of the last two years, our our staff have been either on 80% or 60% in the case of the executive. So I asked my executive team, to take a cut, forty percent yeah. for most of two twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and in twenty-one we went back up to eighty percent. And it's only been <clears throat> sorry, since the start of this year that we're back on full salary for our staff. So it it, it took a toll. And for some people they lost thirty, forty thousand dollars mm. over a period of a two year period. In fact, more for mm. some cases. But most of our average staff would have lost somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand. And the challenge for us has been to keep them mm. because you know, if you're not getting an increase. So there's been no increases for three years. Mm. You've lost money. Someone comes along.
0: Cost of living's going up. Other opportunities. Someone comes along and a, says, "Here's mm, twenty thousand mm, more," and you're not
1: going to go down. I'm mm. not going to put you on a on a stand down or anything. People have been tempted by that, but we're very proud that we've kept our staff together. Very important.
0: Good on you, Michael Massey. You. Brought that up before, just to set the scene for a few people. I mean, obviously came through. I've known him since he was about sixteen. Enormously hardworking guy who immersed himself in in working with Kelvin O'Reilly, who you talked about before. The official side of motorsport rose through the ranks to to work with um, other countries when they were setting up events and so on. Um, he became um, in very tough circumstances when Charlie Whiting died in the lead up to the Australian Grand Prix a few years ago. He became the race director of Formula One, and we had a very controversial finish to the Formula One World Championship last year. In the wake of all that, um, he's been he's been let go from that role. Um, this is a hot topic, I know, and it's a very difficult one to ask you because, on the one hand, you have the FIA uh, mothership, and at this, on the other hand, Eugene, you have a bloke you know, a proud Australian who, who's done some great things and is a great role model to some of these these young men and women, we are hoping will come into to official roles. How do you sort of compartmentalise that? How do you feel about all that
1: now? Um, I, the, the feeling's no different than it was um, when he was let go, to be brutally honest. And I've spoken to Michael uh, recently
0: um, mm. and... Uh, how, how is he for people he, that don't know? He,
1: look, he, he's a tough guy. He's mm. saying he's going okay. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think it's... And I've left an organisation in a circumstance which was less than ideal in mm-hmm. North Melbourne. I mm-hmm. left uh, for reasons that yep. others will know about. And if, when you become emotionally connected to an organization, it's really hard to separate. Mm. And he would be going through hell right now mm. in the lead up to the Grand Prix, mm. I can tell you. Mm. Um, uh, we got an invitation to the governor's function. There's a governor's function Thursday night. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's an FIA employee, his name was on the invite list and I got the invite and I emailed him I said, I reckon I know what the answer to this is going to be. Mm. And he said, yeah, you know huge. I'm mm. not going. Mm. So it's going it's to hurt him. And, it, mm. and, and, and he's a proud man and he comes from a wonderful family. And um, I think the way he was treated was, 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 not, was not great. Mm. If I was an employer in that situation, I wouldn't consider what happened there to be my proudest moment. Mm. He had to sit around for three months waiting for an investigation that ultimately he was never interviewed for. He was never actually interviewed in that investigation and ultimately let go um, or f- removed from that role and then replaced by essentially three people mm. at a video service. W-
0: which tells you that the review uncovered the fact that, it, that they needed support. They needed way more than the, the assets he had at his, his fingertips. So,
1: so, Rusty, I know when I was on the public record, mm. there must have been other forces at play mm-hmm. because in any other circumstance, when you look at three years of hard labour travelling the world in a pandemic doing a fantastic job, possibly tripping at the last... Right, there's mm. a debate about whether we tripped mm. or not. Mm. You deserve another chance. Totally. But it's subsequently totally. subsequently revealed that you needed that support, that you weren't getting.
0: And you weren't interviewed. And
1: you weren't interviewed. No. And when you let go from that role. Mm. It's got to burn. And, mm. and, and I, I equate this to people who are listening who understand football or rugby. It's like an umpire in the last minute of a premiership game or a grand final game Uh, making a decision in the goal square or or rugby would be in the last 10 meters with both coaches yelling in your ear, Mm. yelling at you and telling you what to do. Mm. Um, In a life and death situation, motorsport isn't football. It actually is is a dangerous sport. Mm. So you add that layer to it Mm. and it's incomprehensible Mm. that he would then be let go as a result of what happened. And Mm. so me, as putting aside, I'm a friend. If he was my employee, I would have been a lot more engaged I would have worked through why it happened, Mm. how it happened, and then found a solution. Because he is a talent. Yep,
0: he is a talent. It's a loss, and it's a loss to the
1: FIA. It's a loss to Formula One. He'll pop up somewhere because Mm. he. We love him Mm. in Australia, so he'll find when he's ready. When he Mm. comes back, he'll find somewhere to park. You know, this is a bloke who spent six months in Korea for Motorsport Australia cams. Getting ready for the Korean Grand Prix. Six months he lived in Korea mm. in preparation for that. And we, so, we
0: weren't talking a beautiful city in the middle. I mean, it was no, you know, you know, where, yeah, yeah, all, know where exactly where it, where it was. Yeah, so, yeah. so
1: um, here's a man who knows more about motorsport than many other people in this country mm. has been at the upper echelons mm. and is cast aside. And as far as I'm concerned. If he comes home to Australia, there are plenty of people lining up. I spoke to Scafee recently. Mm. There are plenty of people lining up. We put their arms around him and bring him into their organisation. Mm. He has a lot to offer. Mm. Everything from the sporting side to the safety side to the organisational side. You know, If we get a gig overseas, I'd be tapping him on the shoulder and say, do you want to go and lead us in the training of the officials mm. for another Grand Prix? But right now it'd be burning him. I've got no doubt that he would be cut up by the way in which he's been treated.
0: We need to move on. I'm glad you've had your say. It makes me bloody mad, mate, because I I think he should have had greater support um, at an international level. And I'm I'm miffed about that, absolutely miffed about it. Sport has done some great things around um, prostate cancer awareness, for example, and encouraging testing and things like that in in recent (laughs) time, Motorsport Australia. Am I right in saying, mate, you've shared a little bit of your own journey in yeah, relation I did. to I cancer? Did. Um,
1: yeah. I, um, it was interesting that Crompo mentioned that one of the reasons he discovered what he had was because he went to do his medical mm.
0: for his license. For his license. Mm. And that
1: it happened to him. Mm. Yeah. I, um, like every other 50 year old bloke, I just, you know, didn't worry about going to the doctors on a, actually I went to the doctors on a regular basis, but for whatever reason, the doctor had never asked me about doing a, mm. uh, a a, mm. a, 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 a bowel colonoscopy, yeah, yeah. colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, and I'd got the pack. Uh-huh. At, at once you get to 50, you get a pack from uh-huh. the government every two years. And I put it aside and I ignored it. Um, and then when I was about 53 and a half, 54, I went to the doc and he just out of a blue said, did you end up getting one of those packs from the government? I said, no, oh, yeah, I did. Did you end up using it? I said, no. He says, Yuge, is there a family history? I said, well, not what I know of, but I know my mum had some issues with her stomach and whatnot. Uh-huh. And he says, well, you better, you, better get, um, you better get a colonoscopy. And so lo and behold, went in for a colonoscopy. Um, it was probably... I think it was around about August because I normally go in and see him around my birthday, July. Mm. So I did the colonoscopy. It would have been about, it was, in fact, it was September. And uh, the doc said um, we found three polyps. Um, uh, that's not unusual, he said. Mm. There's five mil, five mil, and a 10 mil one. Now we're talking tiny polyps. Mm. Um, we, we burnt them off. You should be okay. And I remember John tot was in town. It was 2.14 and John tot was in town and he was at the RACV club and we were going up to a function and I was downstairs, believe it or not, in the lift lobby, and I got a phone call from the doc. And they don't muck around these docs. They said, I've got some bad news. I said, what? He says, well, one of the polyps was malignant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, well, what does that mean? Didn't you get it out? He says, well, no, I think we need to send her off to a specialist and have a look at it. And the long story short is that ultimately I had about a foot of my bowel cut out. Wow. Because what they do is they go into the space where the polyp was and yep. they remove six inches to either be side.
0: Safe, to be safe, They take man. some
1: lymph glands out, they test those, and so I, um, I was told that in September and I said, is there any, I went and saw a specialist and the specialist said, I think you should do it. If mm. you're 85, you probably wouldn't worry. Mm. Um, but I think you should do it at 54 years of mm. age. So I went in, um, but I said to him, um, is there any urgency about this? He says, oh, well, you wouldn't want to let it go more than three months. So I went to Bathurst. So I said, I want to go to Bathurst. So I think it was my first trip or possibly my second time I've been to Bathurst. Went to Bathurst, enjoyed that. Went for the surgery in December, they cut out the foot um, of bowel, um, and then I decided to share it publicly, and when I went Mm. public with it, and I said to men, you know, get out there, get the test done, get the colonoscopy, get all the blood tests, do what you have to do, and there's about three or four people that have come up to me since then and shaken my hand and said, you know what, I actually went and did did that, and I had the same surgery you did, if I'd have waited any longer it mm-hmm. could have been serious. So, so I, I consider myself extremely lucky. If I'd have gone another 12 months, mm. it would have de- developed into true bowel cancer. So it would have been the start of a cancer, but they nipped it in the bud. And as it turned out, I was very lucky. And I now get colonoscopies on a regular basis. Um, and I would urge anyone out there, anyone, it doesn't have to be necessarily old men like me, but anyone 50 or 45 and over, particularly if there's a family history mm. to get your colonoscopies done.
0: Great work. Couple to finish if we can. What's next? on the Motorsport Australia agenda. What sort of things in the, in, you know, given we've come out of a pandemic or coming out of a pandemic, sort of the five-year track down the road in the, in the shape of what you've talked about, about um, environmental challenges and all sorts of things. What's... what's I think
1: um, venues is pretty big. Mm. I'm pretty proud... Permanent venues, you mean? Permanent venues, mm, yeah. Street mm. circuits are great. We Mm. need them. Mm. But permanent venues, what we know drives our sport are venues. Mm. And our members have said to us repeatedly... If you build it, we will come. Mm. And there's the old joke, and Scafie told me, this, that if you had a choice between uh, cancelling a wedding or cancelling a track day, cancel the wedding, because you can always re- rebook it three months later. Mm. You cancel a track day, you may not be able to get back on for 12 months. Correct. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a problem in our sport that mm. we're losing venues. Sanddowns now on the chopping block. Mm. There's no doubt within the next four to five years it'll go. Mm. So for me, it is around building the political narrative mm. to get more investment from government. Because Sam Shaheen comes along once in a lifetime.
0: Totally. Exactly. Yep. You're
1: not going to get that mm. many – or Tony Quinn. Mm. We're lucky enough to have Tony Quinn and Sam Shaheen in this country who are investing, but we, we need more venues, and that's a priority. Mm. Um, we also need, as I mentioned already, some environmental focus and mm. to set a plan yep. for the industry, yep. not for Targets. Motorsport Australia, mm. for mm. the industry about how we're going to achieve that. We need to tap into this younger generation, and we've got a real opportunity with the advanced oh, – look at the record numbers of a Grand Prix. Mm. That's a good sign for government to see, so that when you go and talk to a minister, you say, well – Look what's happening. This is a popular vote-winning sport. Mm. Ask Peter Malinowskis from South Australia mm. when he won the election on the premise of Adelaide 500 and yep. bringing back the Adelaide Motorsport Festival. So getting in front of government and capturing the popularity, it's in our DNA. Mm. Everyone knows about Brocky and Moffat and Brabham and Daniel. It's a really big calling card for us. And I think officials... So if you had four or five topics, they about it. But venues, getting more government funding developing for girls, getting yep. more girls into the sport, we're, we're lagging way behind. Mm-hmm. 8% of our license holders are women. We need to get that up, 20%, 25%. Okay. Um, plus the environment and the venues and government funding. And I'm pretty confident that um, with a couple of elections coming up, there mm-hmm. are opportunities to go and pick a pocket or two, get in front of government. I personally, um, before I leave this job, um, would love to see that there'll be another track in Victoria, in our west, in the west of the state, And we're currently working very closely with government around that. Because if Sandown does fall over, Mm. we need another venue. Mm. Phillip Island and Winton are not going to be enough for this state. Um, And remember that our two biggest states drive 50%. We need to get Queensland up. Mm -hmm. And now the QR has been taken over by Tony, we think. So there's there's a whole raft of things. But I think I've captured the members, the officials, Mm. the venues, the environment, um, and government. They're, they're the thought of things that I think about on a regular basis.
0: You may not have done this, um, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but, but have you set a little personal timeline for yourself in terms of the involvement?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, there's the old saying that Mick Maltas used to say that when you announce you're going to retire, you're pretty much retired, Tired. and I've mm. got to be careful of that. But mm. I, I would think, and it's no secret, I'm 61 years of age, mm. I could, I'd could i love this job. i love this job passionately. It's, mm. it's been a really good journey for me, and I would love to think that, um, I, I, that the board will allow me to see out the next two or three years, Um, that'll do me then. I sit on a board. I could sit on a number of of other boards. Mm. But I feel there's a bit of unfinished business because of a pandemic. It's Mm -hmm. set us back. And I I think we've got a real opportunity coming out of a pandemic as a sport with the IP that I've gained over many years, the political connections, the relationships we've built to really capture that. So, When I do leave a job, I leave it in a much better place than it was even two years ago during the pandemic, but certainly 10 years ago. So uh, you've got to be conscious of making sure that you uh, understand that you can't have a job forever. Hmm. And as long as this board is happy to support me, then I'll continue working. But I wouldn't think, I I don't think I'll be in the job when I'm 65, to be brutally honest. But I I can't say to you when I retire, but I want to keep working hard.
0: Can't play favourites, but what is in the Aroca garage? Come on, what's the daily drive? (laughs)
1: The BMW, 340i, yeah. X-Drive. Well a done. wonderful car. I yeah. mean, I, look, I'm a bit of an old man. I love the comforts. My son's trying to get me into an M2. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to hear the rumble of the M2 downstairs <laughs> yes. in the garage. We've got four cars in our garage and two of them are my son's. Okay. He's got an old BMW, um, the last of the straight sixes. Oh, beautiful. Um, yep. Uh, 92, 93. Mm-hmm. He loves that. He's got a... Pajero of all things. Do you believe it? Four wheel drive. <laughs> he thinks it's an investment. I think it's just a piece of crap. But anyway, okay. it's a diesel. Um, and my partner drives a Merc and I've got the BMW. And I've had, I think this is my fourth BMW. I love Beamers. They're yep. a great car. Great, comfortable car. All the modern technology. But I reckon there's a chance my next car could be an electric
0: vehicle. Okay. Uh,
1: as funny as that Watch. might sound for someone from Motorsport Australia, I think that's possible.
0: Watch this space. Hey, we've got to let you go. You've got to go to a, a luncheon with some um, some political people. Good luck with the pickpocketing that you were talking about to, to help the game. It's been awesome to shoot the breeze with you. And just to share a bit of your story with the people in the in the greater Australian automotive and motorsport community. Thank you. Well,
1: Rusty, it's been an honour and thank you very much for asking me to do this because I was wondering, um, you must have been scratching around for guests. <laughs> No, so I'm really proud and uh, and you are a great friend of ours and you, I consider you to be a friend because Thank in you. the time that I've been the CEO you've been a part of what we do and how we do it and the professionalism and how we present our awards nights. So I compare them to when I first started mm. and it's a next level one. So so well done to you for Thank supporting you. us and it's been a real pleasure you know, talking to you for an hour or so. It's
0: been great, mate. And at, at heart, what we just want is for the game to be better. Absolutely. Cheers. Nothing better than that. Thanks, huge. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rusty. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series editor and producer is Ed Gooden. Audio production by Link Kelly. If you've got a guest suggestion, get in touch with me via social media. The Garage. It's where a journey begins with a tank full of passion fueled stories. Listener.